If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, first question, where were you? <laughs> the second question is, you missed us. Wonderful sermon from Wendy. It was outstanding. And I, I was here for the first one, and then I listened to a second one on the podcast. I was crying too. It was just wonderful. God's presence came down, and Wendy did a great job. So we're now on, as it were, the second, third week of this series. And if, just to remind you, remember Chris brought us the fact that the source of our hope is based on the person of God and the fact that he is dependable, the fact that he is eternal. And you remember how he contrasts that so beautifully with Herod, who wasn't a very nice man, and that's putting it mildly. And then Wendy, who did such a fantastic job. Now, she contrasted the reaction of Zachariah and Mary and how their differing hope resulted in two different reactions. Mary's reaction produced thanksgiving. It was wonderful. And gratitude to God. And I'm thankful to Emma, who, if you go onto the podcast, she gives you a little summary of actually the, the podcast before you hear it. And this is what she said. When our hope is in God and we believe in his promises, hope will undoubtedly lead to thanksgiving and healthy gratitude, which is beautiful. So today, we're going to look at the Magi, or the wise men, and how they responded to the revelation of the birth of hope. So come with me now to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to just read from 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is he who is called born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and come, have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born. In Bethlehem, or Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hmm, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here we are. And as we go through this, I'm just going to, I'm going to take some voices, I'm going to just make some comments about them, and we'll see where we go. So, we read now in Matthew chapter 2, 2 to 3, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of Herod, we know Magi came from the east, 
to east to Jerusalem and asked him, where is he who is born king of the Jews? So here's my question. The question that they were asking, where is this king? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now, let's a little bit of background here. Uh, you know, I did some research. I don't know sometimes when you use the commentaries whether they are useful or not. Because if you do any academic work, you'll find that one group of people say this, another group of people say that. So I thought, hmm, I will just do what I need to do. Here's some interesting information for you. You know, Herod was actually wasn't the rightful king. And if you're ever reading Matthew's gospel, have you ever wondered why we have the genealogies at the beginning? Because most people skip them. However, it's there for a reason. If you know anything about Matthew, Matthew was a Jew writing to the Jews about a Jew. So the thing that he wanted to point out was that if the monarchy was still in place, when you look at those 28 generations, Jesus would have been the rightful king. He had crown rights. That's why Herod was disturbed, because he wasn't a Jew. He was actually an Edomite, and he actually married a Jewess, and he was a puppet king, as Chris pointed out to us. He was put in there by the Romans. So when he heard this news, it was not good news. One commentator puts it like this. Herod was disturbed because he knew that the title, his title, King of the Jews, was blasphemous. We're led to believe also, you know, how did the, the Magi find out about this? And we saw the star, but they had to see more than the star. I mean, if you just saw a star in the sky, would you now decide to take off on a journey? You know, and they say, oh, where are you going? I'm just following the star. <laughs> well, actually, there's a little bit more to it. Because we're led to believe that the Magi came from what we would call Babylon or Mesopotamia. And go back in time. Go back into the exilic period or when Daniel became the chief of the Magi, same word in the Greek. And what we're led to believe is that many of the musicians, and by the way, they were into astronomy, astrology, and I think the word they use here, that they were alchemists. You said, what are alchemists? They were trying to make gold out of various things. Now, these people weren't sorcerers, of course, because they would have come to worship Jesus. Anyway, what we're led to believe is that Daniel's influence was so great over those wise men that many of them knew about the prophecy that Balaam, way back in, November, in, in uh, Numbers, had made, that a star would rise out of Judah, if you look at it in Numbers 24, 17. Now, that's, it's, so they knew. They knew that something would come. And what we're led to believe, and of course this is conjecture, so we don't have to stretch the text too much, but it would be, it's possible that they, having studied and done research, they came upon the prophecy of Balaam. So they would have known about this. It's fair to say also that they would have known about the prophecy for Micah because that happened a lot, lot, lot later. Anyway, just some interesting facts. Now let's get to the meat of this thing. You know, you know we need to do this thing. The Magi saw the star, and they moved out from where they were, based on that research, 
and they journeyed to find a king. Herod was a concern only about keeping his power because he saw Jesus as a threat. Now, here's the question to you. What has brought you here this morning? What's brought you here today? Are you searching for hope and certainty in the midst of despair, disappointment, or discouragement? Maybe the things that you depended on, the people that you looked to, you found out that they're not what you thought they were. And this morning you've come here and you are searching. You are looking for that certainty. Or maybe I put it to you this way. Maybe you are looking this morning for that comfort. Maybe you are looking for that one that will give you hope. The Magi desire to find the king of the Jews, their desire. You know, I think it's amazing that these people weren't Jews, but they had studied and they saw the star and they left the comfort of their own home. They inconvenienced themselves. I didn't have time to find out, but I can assure you this, that the journey was not a few miles. <laughs> if you left Mesopotamia, Babylon, to follow a star, and you remember, they don't have trains. They don't have cars. We don't know what transport that they use. We know that the Christmas cars show them on, don on camels or donkeys. But what you can be sure of is this, it's going to take a long time. Some of you only had to jump in your car this morning and come. But you know, for some of you, it was a struggle. Because you didn't want to come. But you're here. You're here. They came to worship and to bow down. Now, why have you come here? Now, I have to say this, you see. When I come to church in the morning, I, I have two things on my mind. The first thing is this. I want to worship God. That's priority number one. Priority number two is I want to serve his people. So when I'm coming to church, if I'm coming through those doors, as much as I'm good morning, it's like my heart is to get in here. Now, some of you, I know you come for the donuts. <laughs> you come for the coffee. Yes. You come for fellowship. You come to experience church vicariously and have your faith restored and you, you have a great time and then you go back into the week. But friends, I would encourage you, when you come to church, your focus should be to come to worship God. Now, yes, you can talk in the foyer and all that kind of stuff, but really, friends, I would say to you, I want, I want to be, my priority is, I'm in here and I want to worship God. And don't trouble me while I'm worshiping. Don't mess with me while I'm worshiping. You know, I don't care if you've got the revelation of God, it can wait. <laughs> The spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. That's what the scripture says. Have you come to worship? Have you come to honor him? Have you come to bow down before him? It's good. Have you come to adore him? Look at Mary. Oh, Mary. The Magnificat. I didn't know when I was a young boy... 
at Stationers Company School, and I was a, a treble, so I used to sing, and we learnt the Magnificat, and we went down into the crypt at St. Paul's Cathedral, and we sang, my soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on all generations shall be called blessed. Why? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That was Mary's testimony. And you see, friends, when you come into his presence, when you come to worship, that's, I pray, is what happening, is happening in you. As you come to worship it, because the mighty one has done great things for me. As you reflect on this year, I pray amongst all the things that you've gone through, you can reflect on the fact that God has done mighty things for you. That his power isn't limited. That whatever it is that God has spoken into your life for today, he will bring it to pass because he's faithful. He's not a man that he should lie. Has he not spoken and will he not bring it to pass? And maybe you're here this morning so that God can restore the message and the core that is upon your life. That you may be reminded of what he said to you and why he called you and why he appointed you and why he anointed you. So that you might know that he who is mighty has done great things and holy is his name. Yes, friends. I'm excited this morning, but I mustn't preach that text because Wendy did a great job on it last week. Well, what was good news for some was bad news for others. Matthew 2, 4 to 7. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born. This, of course, was Herod. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. That's from Micah 5, 2 to 4. Then Herod called the Magi and secretly found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. And as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. <laughs> Once again... We see that the birth of Jesus is prophesied in this, it, while there is oppression and darkness around. As you know, for 400 years, they had heard, not heard a word from God. In fact, in that 400 years, a synagogue system had developed. A religion, in a sense, had developed in Judaism. However, God had a plan. That plan hatched there, if you know your Bible, Genesis 3.15, he will bruise your heel, but he will crush his head. God had his plan. And you know, as I was thinking about this, my mind went to the Matrix, the film. You're thinking, where is he going? <laughs> and Yes, some of you know about the Matrix, great film. <laughs> and in that, they had these sentinels, these were kind of policemen going throughout you know, the, the world looking. And what I sensed was this. Satan knew that God had a plan, but he didn't know how God was going to hatch it. So throughout the centuries, there were sentinels looking, 
for this savior, etc., etc., etc. Because Satan didn't know how God was going to do it. And then Herod hears that there's a savior coming. So in the forces of darkness, they're saying, this is an opportunity. So let's find out where this child is. But you see, God is all-knowing. His plans are secure and amen. And whatever Satan may have planned, he couldn't outwit God. And who would have thought that he would have chosen a 13 to 6-year-old Jewish girl and the power of the Most High would overshadow her and that which was born in her be of God. And it would be in Bethlehem. And why? Bethlehem's a small place. It's obscure. It's like where I live, Dunstable. No one knows it. <laughs> you see? Satan would have thought it would have been there. He was maybe looking for Rome. But God had his plan. And he came in under the radar. God contracted to a span. Incomprehensibly made a man. And what we find here now is that God's plan works out because it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. And here's my point. Your situation may be not great. You may find that your job is under threat. You may find that your relationship is in difficulty. You may find that you have financial challenges. You may find that you have emotional challenges. The situation and the circumstances is not every good. But let me tell you, God has a plan because the plans that he has for you are plans for blessing and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And that was spoken in the darkest time in, Ju- in Judah's history because they were now in captivity, in Babylon. And then God says to them, I, have, I know the plans that I have for you. And you could imagine it. They say, hold on a minute. You've, we've, just been, we've been overtaken by the Babylonians. We're now in a foreign city. How can we sing praise? But God says, I have a plan. And whatever your situation, the God of hope would want to drop a seed of hope into you to say, whatever your circumstances, he has a plan. And a plan's for blessing, my friends. Not for calamity. To give you a future and to give you a hope. The birth of Jesus, as far as Herod was concerned, produced fear and insecurity. And Herod's plan, like the plan of the enemy, is always to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. And this is something, I'll throw this out here, You will find this in your life and in your spiritual walk, that if God is bringing you to a new level or God is going to birth something in you, the enemy will come to kill it before it starts. The enemy will always come to kill something before it starts because if you you read in Revelation, I don't want to go there, but (laughs) no, I won't. But the enemy is always looking to destroy anything that God has planned in your life. And particularly when you're going to step up to a new level, as Joyce Meyer put it, new level, new devil. But Jesus said, and Chris said it, he said, I've come that you might have what? Life, and that life which is more abundant. And I say to some of you, choose life. 
Don't look at your circumstances. Oh, Chris Prucher, Corker on this. He said, don't judge God based on your circumstances. Says God is bigger than your circumstances because he has a plan. Let us come then to our final point. Hope breeds generosity. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped. And they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. Now, you see, the star led them to that place. Now, it's interesting, some of the commentators said it was a pillar of fire and all the rest of it, but I'm not going to go there because I want to finish this thing today, not tomorrow. Now, but this is, I like them to think of the star as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drew you here today. Something in you said you needed to be here this morning. And Paul put it like this when he was writing to the Romans. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame because God's love what has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And as is the case for many of us, the Holy Spirit has drawn us to this place. You're in here, and as I came, and in the worship, you start to weep. And you wonder what's wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you. You're coming home. You're experiencing the Holy Spirit. Pouring out God's love into your heart. And you may not know why it is that you're bawling your eyes out. And it happened to me for weeks and still does. You experience that ocean of love. You experience acceptance, affirmation, affection, and attention. And like the mild jar, you are overjoyed as the love of God has been poured into your heart. And like the Magi, we bow down and we worship Christ, our newborn King. This revelation of hope, this new revelation of his goodness and his produces within us and breathes in us generosity. Read with me quickly. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm not going to talk about the gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is what I'm going to say. The gifts, they gave their gifts. The gifts were personal. The things that were precious to them. Friends, the love that you have experienced, the mercy that has come upon you, the hope that has been restored. What response, what can we bring? What's our treasure? Well, I realize there's three treasures that we all have. We have time, we have energy, and we have money. And those are the things that we bring to him.
So then, Paul put it like this. And with this I finish. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the hope that God has restored in you, to offer your bodies, offer ourselves. And if the band could come up, that would be good. As a living sacrifice. Friends, what I'd ask you, as God begins, continues to move amongst us, you know what he wants? He doesn't need your stuff, he wants you. He wants you. To bring yourself as a living sacrifice. Come and serve him in some way. Find it out what it is that God has worked in you so that the provision that he has provided for you will fit you for the purpose for which he called you. That's Mark's message. As we bring ourselves into his presence, as we give ourselves in generosity to him, I believe that God is going to release through us things that we could not have imagined, things that have not entered, that we have not seen. He's going to do things in this community that is going to bring glory to his name as we glorify the Father, as we live out of the hope that is steadfast and certain because of what Jesus has done. Shall we stand? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we bless you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the birth of hope. We thank you, Lord, that this Jesus is not a child in a home or in a house, but this is Jesus now, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, having made purification for our sins once and for all. And now has made a way for us that we can come into your presence. That by your Holy Spirit, as you work in us, and as you undo the works of darkness in us and you set us free, we can rise up and be all that you've called us to be and do. And our heart, Lord, this morning is to adore you. Our Lord Jesus, the one who became a man and fulfilled the heart of the Father and fulfilled the purpose of God, that through his work at Calvary, we might have access into his presence. Come, let us adore him. Amen.